Hello and welcome to My Rural Tribe with Sean Mercer, the podcast that celebrates all things rural, the people that live and work within it, and whose passion I find inspiring. I'm your host, Sean Mercer, photographer by day and podcaster by night, with a lifelong passion for all things farming. I come from a family of farmers and have worked within the industry all my life, and to me, it's just like coming home. I bring you this podcast because I'm basically nosy and want to learn more about what makes a farmer, where does that passion come from, and what does being a farmer mean to them, and to find out their story. Today I'm speaking to Rory Martin. I met Rory in January. We were conference buddies. We were at the British Cattle Breeders Club conference and then the following week at Cultivate. Um, Rory has gone on to lots more conferences. Um, I sadly haven't been to them. So, um, yeah, so Rory, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, So, Rory, you are the farms manager at MiceCo. So, technically, I'm the director of farm operations and innovation, but it is just a fancy way of saying I'm the farm manager at MiceCo. That's a great title, though. I quite like that title. (laughs) It's quite wordy, though. I don't really tell anyone that. What do you just like? Yes, I am the farm manager. Yeah, yeah, hello. Depending on who I'm talking to and if I'm trying to impress them or not, I would say I'm the farm manager or the farm director. Yeah. Perfect. Depending on what mood, mood I'm in that day, I suppose. Yes, if it's a, if it's a hat day or not a hat day. <laughs> Rory wears the most amazing hat and I'm quite impressed by it. So uh, that's where the hat um, comes in. Uh, Rory, well, how long? I love a hat. I so certainly do. A running, running joke among friends of mine that they've got a GoFundMe page to get the brim a bit wider. <laughs> it is quite an impressive brim already. <laughs> they've obviously got no style. That's no. what's going on with that one. I mean, you said it, not me. So well, yes. I only know one of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> they could hide. Uh, so, Rory, how long have you been um, at MySco? Um, so I've been at MySco now since uh, the end of September last year, so about five months is that now. Um, uh, but I have, well, I have a bit of history with MySco. So I was there, I did my degree there, um, graduated about five years ago. And then I did a stint working there for 12 months on a sort of research contract. And I was also the assistant shepherd at the same time. Um, so we had uh, two trials while I was there from the same commercial company, one on um, sheep colostrum and then one on dairy cow colostrum. You have an interest then in the science base of the um, the research side? Yeah, so I suppose I started my farming journey um, wanting to be a vet when I was younger in school. So I um, I did, I studied A-level, I studied biology, physics, chemistry and maths at A-level and then uh, well, I actually got as far as applying to that school and then got turned down because I, they said I hadn't enough um, experience in vet surgeries, which sort of made me sit back and realise, well, when I was doing my work experience, there was plenty of work experience on farm, but not a lot in vet surgeries. Well, why was that? It's because I didn't enjoy being in vet surgery, so why do I want to be a vet? <laughs> yes. So, um, so that sort of started me down the farming route, really. Um, but... I mean, we, I don't come from a farming family, um, but sort of everyone else at school was farmers. So I'd, I'd been around it all my life, but kind of had that, um, I suppose, stigma in the back of my head that smart kids don't go into farming type of thing. And um, so I then, well, I wouldn't say I panicked slightly, but my, my brother was studying mechanical engineering at university, um, a year older than me. And sort of the things he was doing sounded really, really interesting. So I jumped the a bit, applied to Glasgow to do mechanical engineering through clearing, um, did six months of it and decided I hated it. So came home and then thought, well, sod it, I really enjoy farming, so I might as well go and do a degree in it. And I've, I've not looked back since, so, you know. And here really you are. Enjoy it, really enjoy every day and keep moving on, really. Yeah, so you, you didn't come, you don't come from that farming background, as you just mentioned, but you were surrounded by it. So your friends were from farms and growing up in a very rural area. Um, how did so, that sort of impact you as a youngster then? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know, I suppose, because I, I've never known anything different. Um, it's true. I'm not sure which 
which came first, whether it was my love of the outdoors, and I was fortunate enough that my, you know, I was brought up in the outdoors, so that I, it, you know, it all fell into place, or whether because I was brought up in the outdoors, I, I now appreciate it more than than some people do. Because um, I suppose we we were really quite remote in terms of um, our house was about 1,800 foot above sea level, and we had hills on three sides of us going up to about two and a half thousand feet, um, and in, it was a and oh, what was it? 25 mile trip to school every day, and we had to go up and over the top of the hill and down the other side. So it's a story actually my brother told at my wedding um, when he was doing his best man speech. We had exams, GCSE exams in January one year, um, and the, it had snowed on the day of my maths exam, and uh, taxis had all got cancelled. And I thought, well, I'm not missing this because I don't want another flipping exam in June. So I set off walking. Oh God! <laughs> and, uh, my mother phoned the school and she said, oh, he's, he's just set off. He'll probably be about, you know, three or four hours. Um, just expect him coming in. And uh, they thought, well, we can't have a 16-year-old walking in for his exam. We'd better send a Land Rover to come pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of climbed up and over the hill and met the Land Rover coming down the other side. But, it, you know, that's... that to me was just, well, that's what we did because, you know, that's where we lived. And, and I was outside all the time and... It was no no hardship to me to go for a sort of eight mile walk up and over the top of the hill and meet my friends or a Land Rover or something on the other side wow. and carry on from there type of thing. Yeah, um, that's the thing, isn't it? I suppose when you grow up in these, you know, you've, that's like really isolated. It's just the way of life, isn't it? And, you know, to go and get milk and bread is a a long journey, isn't it? It's... Yeah. We just got on with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it did, I sort of I talk to friends of mine now that aren't anything to do with farming and don't live in the countryside and things like that, and you, you say things like that to them, like oh you know it was an hour's drive to sort of nearest supermarket and stuff like that, and they just they can't believe it, they can't wrap their heads around it because to them it's a you know, five minute walk down the road sort of thing. Yeah, totally different, isn't it? Yeah. So then, how did you? So you sort of said you did go off to uni and try different things, but it was that pull of agriculture. So what is that, Paul? I suppose both my parents come from uh, inner city background. My mum grew up in city centre London and my dad grew up in city centre Birmingham. Um, both of them hated it and uh, and left and moved up into the sort of Scottish borders and then met each other. And uh, in order to do that, my dad had left school GCSE in, in woodworking and he used to make furniture for a living and things like that. He really, really, he's really good with his, making things with his hands and yeah. um, he's quite practical. But in order to move away from the city, he went to night school and got his accountancy degree. And he, he hated it really, sitting in an office all day and, and doing the books and things. He was good at it, don't get me wrong, but he, he didn't enjoy it. And he always said to um, me and my brother growing up, doesn't matter what you do and where you are in life as long as you're enjoying yourself that's enough so I'd gone to university and tried mechanical engineering and realized that I didn't like it and came back home I sort of was having a conversation with both my parents along the lines of I don't really know what I want to do and I don't want to waste the education I've had or you know waste any opportunities that I've got and I always remember my dad just turned around to me and said, well, it doesn't really matter because you, you're smart enough that you'll do well whatever you decide to do and you'll make, you can always make your own opportunities but set off doing something that you enjoy first and foremost. So I sort of sat down and did a bit of soul search and I thought, well, I enjoy being outside in all weathers and, and I enjoy working with animals and sort of thought back to where my happiest moments were and it was sitting on the side of a mountain in April with in the sleep watching a sheep lamb or, you know, carving a cow or something yeah. like that. And I thought, well, there we well go. let's go from there. Let's, you know, let's see what more about agriculture and see where we get to. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say I've got to somewhere that I, I really enjoy what I do. And it's it's not a chore going to do a 12-hour day or something like that. Yeah. Um, I remember a quote that someone once said to me that um, freedom is doing what you want. But happiness is um, enjoying what you do. Ah. That's always stuck with me. That um, just as long as you keep, as long as you keep doing and making decisions based on what you enjoy, you know you'll you'll keep getting places because 
you'll put more effort in and you know you'll, you'll keep coming back to it so yeah and you know it's that thing is that people are drawn to people that are like happy or content so then that opens up more opportunities as well doesn't it so yeah it sort of all comes back you said earlier about uh, farming wasn't seen as a career for the intelligent kids and yeah. i've I used to teach at a college, an ag college, so I've sort of seen students come in and told, oh, you know, my teacher tried to, or the careers advisor tried to stop me going into agriculture. Um, and, you know, it just it's a reoccurring story that you, you hear this, it's like, oh, you're too intelligent to be a farmer. Um, yeah. And, you know, now that you're working in education establishment, is that still coming through? You do, you get a bit of it. It, it tends... You don't tend to get it from the farming community. It tends to come from people like myself that are coming into ag from um, a completely different background. And they they sort of have this embarrassment and this stigma around it, which I think just comes down to a misunderstanding of what we do in agriculture and what it's all about. And um, like I say, I, I feel like I'm reasonably fortunate that I've got a lot of friends and a lot of experiences outside of the um, sort of farming community, and I, I get to see it a bit from both sides. Um, and I, my brother now lives in city centre Leeds, um, and I, you know, talk to him from regularly, talk to his friends and things like that. And they're much more probably what you would class as the the average um, people out of our generation. You know, there's, Probably out of a group of ten of them, there'll be three or four that are, are vegans or flexitarians. That um, you know, they, they don't own cars, they don't have carry any cash with them anymore. They just pay for everything on the card or mm. the phone or things like that. And um, I'll get talking to them, and quite a, like my brother's just finished his PhD, so quite a lot of them are, are really intelligent people, and they, you know, they work. Um, one of them's a data scientist, one all these different jobs, and I start talking to them about. Um, some of the data capture we've got going on or the research we've got at the college um, various bits of things that go on in agricultural that we're having to consider um, moving forward you know, labour issue, technology and things like that and they're blown away by the sort of use of robotics that we've got, robot milkers, car mm. feeders all that sort of thing and they, they all say to me I can't believe how much science and technology there is in agriculture, I didn't realise it was as complicated as that, I thought you just put some seeds in the ground and Waited nine months and then went and harvested it. So do you think it was that easy? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's it, everything, all the work that agronomists do and livestock nutritionists and, you know, sort of tractor engineers, it, it, no one outside of agriculture really understands the complexity of it. And I think we take it for granted a bit within agriculture that it's been gradual change over time that we're all just used to it. Mm. You know, most farmers probably don't realise how actually skilled they are and that you know if they went into industry somewhere they they could probably be you know, damn good engineers or um, oh gosh computer technologists or you know i know i'm always blown away by the amount of skills that you see on farm from farmers um just like you know starting the day being the vet because you may have that poorly animal to then the water pipes you've got to be the plumber then the electrician go and be the accountant um, probably creating some new tool on the farm so you know you're an ag engineer mending your tractor I mean the skills set for to be a farmer is just amazing it's fantastic um, and I, I think we need to learn to shout a bit more and congratulate ourselves a bit more you know, give, give ourselves a pat on the back every now so like you know you're just sort of saying like your generation so you're 27 and where does that disconnect come from so like you were saying about your brother's friends and you know friends that you have out of the farming industry that there's that disconnect they just aren't aware of the technologies that we're using you know the data collection you've been but even just going back to that very basics of putting seeds into the ground or birthing an animal where is that how's that happened do you think it's a sort of side effect of our own success if you will we've gotten that good or at being productive that there's now less of a human demand in every litre of milk in every ton of wheat and things like that so there's, there's there's less people directly involved in the industry which means that you know less people have that connection with farming directly or even indirectly there's you know there's less farming families every year you're seeing more 
small farms going out of business and larger mm. farms getting bigger, which yeah. is, you could possibly make some comment about the, the profitability of the industry as well that's driving us further that way, but I think it's all interlinked in terms of, you know, we, we've got more productive to chase economies of scale and and make a larger profit on a single site which has meant we need less people which has meant less people have a connection which means people will spend less on the food which means we've got to chase ever larger economies of scale in order to make it fit and it you know it it it's almost feels like a, a runaway train or you know a wheel rolling down a hill type of thing but it's i think if we're if we take a step back from it and sort of try and look at all the factors that are involved and just give it a little nudge in, in different areas, then it there's the possibility that we can change the track of that and start you know, bringing the general public, so to speak, back into the farming fold a bit more. And it, it is just a sort of education piece, and it's something I'm quite passionate about in terms of I've, I have a completely open book at, at Myosco. If anyone wants to come and have a look around or you know, come and talk to me about what we do. It's quite easy to find the college phone number and, you know, if the ring main reception and ask to get, ask for the farm's number, they'll get our office or they can send me an email or anything like that. I'm quite, quite happy to show people what's going on. And we have an open day at the college every, every summer, um, sort of a country fair open day where the whole college gets opened up to the general public. Yeah. And we have everything from the equine through to sports turf right through then to the farms and do farm tours and things. They, we have we have a lot of animal studies students that, that come to my school. Painting a broad brush across them all, there are quite a lot of students in that cohort that are either vegetarian, flexitarian or vegan or just have very strong views on animal ethics and welfare and things like that. And a lot of the, the reasons behind the sort of factory farming that a lot of people don't like is purely profitability. Well, if you want what's best for the animal, why don't you find a production system that matches your ethics and buy that product? Learn a bit more mm. about where you food comes yeah. from. If you put your money and your trade and your custom into that production system, you're going to make it more profitable. And if, if enough people do that, the people, you know, that, that type of system will become the most profitable type of system in which the rest of the industry will follow. You know, we're quite simple beings, really. <laughs> yes. You know, if you can show, we're businessmen at heart as well. If you can show us how to make a profit and it's going to be better for the welfare of our animals, we'll jump on it in a heartbeat. It comes down to the welfare of the animal, doesn't it? But when your margins yeah. are being pushed, and this is where that, you know, again, that disconnect is happening, isn't it? With um, the yeah. people's ideology and then sort of reality and then in the middle is the still desire for cheap food and people not wanting to pay for that or going well I'm just going to become vegan but even yeah. in that world isn't there you know to get a lot of you know we're just seeing I was reading this morning about um, you know avocados being grown in Mexico and it's sort of because there's so much water is now out of the aquifers it's sort of leading to earthquakes and you think well you know, it's all, or they're saying, or oh, could it be related to the increase yes, in earthquakes? Yeah. So you just think, well, a, a fruit or a vegetable is still being mass produced, isn't it? So yeah. until we rectify our own buying habits or supermarkets changing for us, because we are led by what we get in the supermarket, isn't it? Really, we sort yeah. of we with the least um, path of resistance, isn't it? And that's to go to the supermarket for the majority of people. We want something that's easy, don't we? Inherently, we're lazy people. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. Hence, we've got agriculture because we like brought the animals to us, didn't we? You know, like oh look, we burn yeah. fire, grass grows, and the animals come to us. We don't need to hunt anymore. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, my wife and I have these sorts of discussions all the time because we, like I suppose a lot of people now, we try and be conscious in our consumption, and so you know we we try and reduce the plastic we're using and try and think about how much paper we're using or water or things like that. But we, we sort of, you know, look at it and say, well, the population and our consumption habits now are so large that no matter what we do, if you, you know, if everyone swaps from plastic to paper bags, well, you're going to have mass deforestation, which yeah. is the, 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 you know, the, the paper demand. So it, it's, I always come back to it is, everything in moderation and equally there's you know there's, there's some foods you buy that really don't need to 
the wrapped in plastic. Oh, my bugbear is like when you see something like a banana or a coconut, it's got it's in a polystyrene tray with plastic around it. Like it's got its very own like covering. It's got its own skin. Yeah. yeah. Um and like just the um like the guy that apparently uh, invented the plastic bag, so our shopping plastic bag, it was to stop deforestation. But I suppose in his head it was like we would keep our plastic bag and reuse it yeah. until it was no longer a viable you know thing to use whereas in fact because it was the easy denominator and it's like a throwaway thing yeah it it wasn't what he actually envisaged envisaged it to be it was like supposed to be this reusable piece of plastic and instead we you know did our shopping through the plastic bag away and yeah i think the everything in moderation isn't it and and just like being aware of what we are doing because I often think, because like, you know, we all live in a little bubble as well. Our world is quite small, really, isn't it? Maybe we leave it now and again to oh, go yeah. go to the conference or, you know, go abroad for a holiday. But ultimately, our daily world is very small and, you know, we have our routine and we see the same people or do the same sort of thing, don't we? So I think until then you see it or go somewhere, it's that reality is, you know, suddenly it's quite hard facing or or even we're quite removed from it as well you know when we see trucks tipping at rubbish in the indian ocean and we're like that's really yeah. bad and awful as we put ours in the recycling but how can we make a change to that effect in someone else's country as well so takes, going back to one of your previous questions about what was the, the draw to agriculture that i suppose was one of the other things that that sense of community my wife is from a farming family and they've no, they're the same families have farmed the same farms next door to each other for, you know, 150 years sort of thing. And the, the families know each other that well that, you know, that they're on each other's deathbeds and things like that. Yeah. And that sense of community, I always felt, was lost when you lived in a city. And, you know, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people all around you every day. And you don't, you know, when you travel through London, no one smiles at each other. No one no. says good morning. And, you know, coming from a very tiny village up in... Scottish borders, you, you smiled at everyone when you went down the street and you said good morning to everyone. You waved when you passed in the lay-by, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that we've got so much technology now to help us keep connected that I think actually our interactions with other people have become more superficial because instead of having, you know, four or five or six really close friends that you know and you see very regularly, yeah. How many people have got 500 friends on Facebook? Yeah. And actually, how many of those people do you really talk to and know what's going on in their lives and and have something you know a real connection with? But that's where I that's why I love about coming from that farming community. So the valley in Wales where um, my parents live is is that you know you're a mile or a few miles between each farm, but. I mean, in some ways it's good because everyone is looking out for you, but also, you know, within minutes, people know everything as well. <laughs> so it has its uh, pluses and minuses. Um, but it is that sense of community, you know, if you need something, if someone's not very well, um, you know, people come out and help and make sure, you know, your sheep get to market or, you know, the dogs are, the sheep dogs are fed and let out or, you know, or just, you know, you know that someone's keeping an eye on the farm if you're not there and I just think that's so important and that's what I think you get in that rural community or you know that proper so uh, we met at the British Cattle Conference um, or British Cattle Breeders Club (laughs) the BCBC and you're on the committee aren't you I am yeah Um, yeah I was lucky enough to be um, voted onto the committee at conference last year so uh, yeah BCBC 19 I was voted on, so for the last sort of, well, it'll be about 15 months now I've been on the committee, um, and yeah, helped helped steer and nominate some of the speakers for this last uh, last conference that we've just had. Excellent, and it was a really, really good conference, that's the first time I've been, I was there um, doing some photos for conference, um, but just really enjoyed the speakers um, from that point of view. But what does that get you by being on a committee? Well, what does it give to you? Friends, friends in inverted commas describe me as a bit gobby. I'm quite, you know, <laughs> quite opinionated and, and I, I, I don't shy away from a, a debate or two. You know, I, I quite enjoy discussing things with people and you know, exploring all the angles of a, an idea or a conversation. Or, um, and I've, I've always found the British Cattle Breeders Club to be an interesting mix of 
sort of practical farming industry and cutting edge technology and that's that's kind of always where I've at in terms of I've got quite uh, an analytical mind and I can sort of quite quickly grasp reasonably complicated um, sciences and, and but simply from the grounding of having done my A-levels in it yeah. but equally I'm quite from having grown up working with my hands all the time I'm quite practical as well and I, I quite enjoy you know sort of drawing in the blue sky research and the cutting edge, edge science and then sort of trying to put it into a usable form that we can use on farm and then sort of pushing that out and that's kind of the role that we we have at Myersville we a lot of the research we do is quite applied um, and we partner with the likes of Lancaster University and, and various um, we're an affiliate school of University of Central Lancashire um, and various sort of blue sky researchers that bring that innovative thinking in and then we will work with commercial companies like so the feed companies, genetics companies, um, machinery manufacturers, things like that and we're almost the melting pot that everything gets put together in um, and I suppose that things like being on the committee for the conference um, and going to conferences myself it I've always found it it opens my eyes to what else is out there in the industry and what you know possibilities there are and then it's just a, a fantastic networking opportunity mm. so a lot of my sort of closest friends and, and colleagues within the industry will be people that I've met at conferences or I've met through someone that I've met at a conference and things like that. Well, even this conversation with yeah, now, this exactly. is a product of cattle breeders. So, it, you know, it, I've always found it to, to be interesting and I've always found that the best ideas and realisations I had had have come through a conversation with someone. And mm -hmm. just in that moment of throwing ideas back and forth, um, it, I've always, it, you know, it's, it's always sort of sparked something or an idea has come up or and just that meeting of two minds I find really enjoyable um, oh yeah so no that was yeah I must say I really enjoyed that at the conference just hearing those conversations a seeing like the friendships that were there um and it was just a really nice sort of friendly conference but just those conversations and also because um when I'm doing the photos I'm sort of seeing a different view you know you're all watching the speaker but I get to watch the room and you could just see like people's brains you know the ticking and like they were taking in the information and then you know when it was question time hands would go up and just that that process and um just uh pulling it all together and then hearing the conversations like during coffee and lunch and dinner and what have you and people just yeah going through it all and then making that judgment and for me, that's just sort of fascinating, and uh, and then hearing people that have maybe already put it in place, or then are like, oh yeah, I could do this, I could put it, and then yeah. I just think, yeah, I think that's where you know that getting off farm and having conversations with people in from a farm or from industry in the farming is just so important, isn't it? That's where the yeah, magic is happening. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it's really, really important that it, I mean, I've I've done a, quite a lot of sort of um, management training courses and things like that and you speak a lot to the guys at AHDB and, and um, sort of us at Myosco and we, we always try and encourage people to get out of your um, space and get out of the day to day and just try and take a step back from it, look at what other people are doing look at you know where how other people are implementing ideas and what other ways of doing things there are because you know doing what you've always done Will always get what you you've always got. Yeah. You know, it's it, again. Someone once said to me, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing every day and expecting different results. So you know, if there is something that's not working at home or in the business or whatever, it's, it's rather than just being pig-headed and plowing on with it. Even though you think you haven't got the time, I've always found by going off farm and going to conferences and having conversations with people, it, that little drop of information oh. will just filter through and two three weeks later or it's fantastic when immediately you go aha that is the light bulb moment that's exactly what i need to do and i'll sort all my problems out but you never would have got that if you just oh i know yeah i used to organize uh, on farm events as well and it, i always used to be like if someone takes one nugget home and makes a change with that one nugget of information you know it's we've had a successful farm walk um and just hearing that practical information so yeah, just because it might not be straight away. It might be, you know, in a few days, a few weeks or in a few months. And suddenly it's just like, ching, 
thing, isn't it? And it's just, oh, yeah. And then you can either think, yeah, I've got it, or just think, oh, who was that I was talking to? Give them the ring and or visit yeah. or what have you, isn't it? And really get onto it. I was going to say, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm always open to having people come on farm and look around our business. Because and I, I always say to people at the very start of a farm tour, if you see anything that you want to challenge, by all means, and please do challenge me. Because, you know, I by either justifying my decision or whatever we're doing to somebody else, um, it either sets it more firmly in my head why we're doing it and that and the reasons why it works and, and you know why it's useful or it opens my eyes a bit and says well actually no that is detrimental in this way this way and this way and that person's just come up with a, a very good alternative or has actually pointed me to a bottleneck in the business that i need to chase and so i'm not i'm not afraid to have people come around and poke holes in what i'm doing because i'm not i'm not so proud as to say I know everything there is to know and I'm you know I, I definitely don't and I always think you learn something from every interaction and from every day oh gosh yeah like every day's a school day that's one of my favorite <laughs> sayings there's so many things to learn aren't there and if someone can point that out um and it's a small change it can have actually huge implications yeah, positive yeah. implications isn't it on the business you also say that um you are currently uh, doing a MSc in international business leadership and management is that important to you like leadership and management uh, yeah I suppose the first thing to say about that is I don't get a lot of sleep at the moment no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but no I've really enjoyed it um, I started that in September 2018 um, so it's it's a part time master's course online with the University of York um, just going back to what we were talking about before, it's another fantastic thing about technology that, you, you know, there's so much information out there that, you, you know, you can take it all in, sat at home in front of the producer type thing. But no, it, it really came off the back of the, um, the referendum in 2016. Um, and I'm not, I don't really want to get into whether it was right or wrong because it's, it's happened and we sort of need to, to deal with it, no matter what side of the fence you're on. But that, to me, was a wake-up call in terms of where suddenly going to be exposed to the wider world and ag agriculture is a tiny industry within the British Isles that I think is six uh, percent of GDP or something like that so in the grand scheme of things we're nothing really and that's that's food and drink combined that's not just farming yeah um, and so it, it I, I wanted to get a deeper understanding of what factors there are on the global stage that will you know eventually come back and affect the farm gate price because um, I'm a big believer in knowledge is power and that the, the more we understand, the more we're sort of in charge of our own day-to-day -day and our own destiny, if you will. Um, so I, I really wanted to, I started off with just a, you know, a couple of smaller um, courses and it did a Young Farmers Leadership Academy um, course at Myasco, which touched on a lot of the softer skills that you don't necessarily learn in day-to-day -day farming, things like HR and systems management and things like that and then that sort of wet my appetite for it. Uh, I was working as a um, ruminant nutritionist and a sort of dairy business consultant um, at the time and uh, I, I, I don't really know why but it just it popped into my head again suddenly and I thought oh, I wonder if you can do any online courses and the motivation behind doing it was well let's go out and learn what these big multinational businesses that are um, you know, Apple's the first one trillion dollar company in the world. It's massive businesses, and how do they? What have they learned about management and business and and human interactions and motivations? And how do they think about their consumers and and the way they market things to the consumer? Because that's all the the sort of side of sales that we don't really do. In you know, we we produce a product and push it out onto the market and hope that someone buys it. Yeah, let's every go. other business in the world does it completely opposite direction and I thought why don't we go and learn what these businesses do and then bring it back to agriculture and try and use it to Im improve our industry and you know improve the quality of life of the people that work in it and maintain it as a way of life and a business because I'm so passionate about it mm. the second conference we met at was the following week and that was Cultivate 
um, up in Tresham. Yeah. That was another fantastic conference. And then it was about bringing in two motivational speakers who they would have seen in industry out of agriculture. And then there were two really good speakers from Westmoreland services we had the story there and then is it the killy milk isn't it the baby formula made in um up in cumbria as well and again they were really good so i think that was really important and the energy in the room wasn't it that was just amazing but it was about bringing in a different industry into agriculture and to sort of broaden that horizon and learnings wasn't it that's something i'm quite passionate about you can probably tell um and we are we have a, a small sort of group of us we're all from farming. Well, actually, one of them, one of us is a tree surgeon, but that's a slightly different story. Yeah, we'll let him in, though. <laughs> it's a small holding, which is how we ended up in the group. But we we all bounce ideas off each other and business, not necessarily the, the sort of practicalities of farming, but just ways to think about the business and, and how we're allocating capital or how we're managing HR. We try to get together as a group as often as we can but more often than not we sort of split into the little splinter groups um and i i mean patrick who you met at british cattle breeders he and i probably speak to each other on a, a daily basis and just challenge each other all the time constantly saying to each other you know who do you know outside of farming that would be good to speak to and or you know have you seen what this company and that's really interesting yeah you could turn that's really interesting yeah you could turn that on its head and use it in ag. You know, both of us sort of keep throwing the idea back and forth and eventually one of us will do it, but it's sort of creating the equivalent of non-exec board for the farming business and try and go out and get someone, Martin Thatcher, who spoke at British yeah. Cattle Breeders, or, um, you know, someone who's uh, worked in a bank in the city or you know, someone from a completely different industry that can come into it with fresh eyes and, and just sort of sit there and say, well, how on earth are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. 2% return or, you know, capital's cheap at the minute, go and borrow as much as you can, or, you know, don't worry about the leverage on the land, you'll be fine. So, you know, whatever it is, there's, mm. there's always a, that radical view, I think. Like I said before, even if it just makes you justify the decision that you've already made, at least that decision is then more concrete in your head and you can move on to something else which is a little bit more flaky. And, you know, you, you're not wasting your time constantly re-justifying something to yourself. Yeah. Because you, you've had that big radical thought of, well, all right, what happens if you sell all the dairy cows and start doing something else? And you actually have to sit back and think, well, yeah, why, why do we farm dairy at 1,700 foot above sea level? That's perhaps a bit daft, or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. But it, it's not just, well, we've always been dairy farmers, and kind of, so what? Actually, yeah, proper analysing business and looking into it. And I, I really love that fact that there's the six, seven of you that are coming together to form this little group. And but that, you know, a small group, you know, mighty things are happening, you know, and sort of just looking outside of the box and and then bringing people in from outside of industry, because we do have a lot to learn from outside, don't we? Outside the farming industry. Then equally, I think there's probably a lot that we can teach other industries. One of our biggest strengths in agriculture is how collaborative we are and you know, in terms of that little group, it's probably quite rare that, you know, maybe you'll get a group of six or seven accountants that talk to each other about business all yeah. the time. Most businesses and most companies are quite closed book, aren't they? Yeah. You know, whereas, whereas in agriculture, we can go to discussion groups and HDB events, and that host, very graciously, will lay their books open for you sometimes. And, you know, this is the bare bones of our business. What do you think? This is what's going on. And really, they're giving away their competitive advantage within the marketplace. Yeah. But we're, we've got such a sense of community that we don't really mind. And I think we're better as an industry for that. Yeah, and I think, again, like you said earlier, I think at the start of this conversation about we need to shout more about those things. That's really important, isn't it? That we actually are quite open and collaborative and we will discuss with each other. You know, you've talked about your passion about agriculture. You've come into it... Um, you had that realisation from that, you know, you didn't want to be the vet, you wanted to be practical, but, you know, also, you know, doing the learning and pushing that out and, and in your job, you're getting to do both. You've got the practical side, you've got the research, the companies coming in, which I think is fantastic. Um, so just going back to like the farming then, what, what are your hopes for future of farming? I think we're at the minute, in, 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 certainly in UK agriculture and, and probably quite a lot, around the world we're kind of at the, the fulcrum of change at the minute a lot of pressures on agriculture there's you know we're, we're coming to more of a, a growing 
realization that we've got a bit of a climate emergency on our hands um, in terms of sort of wider human activity, not just agriculture. And I think we, my hopes for the industry are that we continue to to be there, if you will, and, and you know we are such an integral part of the solution that. But we don't shout about it enough. We don't shout about you know all the fantastic things that we do to manage the environment and manage the landscape. And again, that comes down to that disconnect with the consumer. And you know, mm. people don't understand that the reason you know the British countryside looks the way it does in that patchwork of fields and dry stone walls and hedges is because it's a farmed landscape, and it you know it has been for hundreds of thousands of years and if you take the farmers out of it or you take the sheep off the fells that landscape disappears and it always makes me it makes me sad on the one hand but chuckle on the other that took all the sheep off the fells in, in sort of Cumbria and Scotland and, and Wales and thought they were doing the right biodiversity and then 10, 15 time they realised well actually because the sheep aren't grazing it anymore we don't have this variation <laughs> yes. of sward heights and different species and lost a lot of diverse biodiversity and yes you know i'll hold my hands up and say that there probably was overstocking at the time and there were too many sheep and that was you know detrimental to the biodiversity that was there but on the other hand now we've gone too far the other way and we've taken all the sheep away and i suppose the thing that makes me sad about that is that we didn't stand up for ourselves enough at the time mm. and you know didn't have the knowledge or the capability to communicate that knowledge in a way that policymakers understood at the time that now all those those skills and those hefted flocks that, that were once there have now disappeared and it's going to be ten times as hard to get them back again as it was before so I suppose that that's my hope for the future that we we are swift of foot enough within the industry and that we I mean we've certainly got the, the talent pool there it's just whether we've got the, the willpower to not be so adversarial with everybody that's that's pushing the climate objective and, and try and understand what their interests are, where they're coming from, mm. rather than just the position they have of, well, you need to eat less meat or farm is bad for it, and, and sort of be the bigger person and not just revert to a bit of name-calling or throwing opposing facts at each other or things like that and just sort of sit down and say, right, okay, enough of this, let's just have a look at it. What's the outcome we're all trying to get to? You know, is it healthy environment, healthy ecosystem, but we can all still live, we can still produce food, and, you know, let's, let's all live in harmony. Therefore, how do we get to that point? Well, you know, over here, we've got a, a fantastic way of um, managing the, the environment with sheep. Well, we've got a bit of a mixed farm here that's mm. doing a lot of carbon capture, and, you know, and start bringing all those aspects of agriculture that we know work very well and work very well for wildlife without doing the gut reaction of, well, let's just take everything away because it's clearly in the problem, so let's take it away and then there won't be any problems anymore. Yeah, Which, yeah. Clear, you know, it clearly doesn't work. No. Like you said before, it's everything in moderation. So yeah. I, you know, I, I hope that we can all get to that point and I hope, you know, that everyone else around the table can get to that point, government and, and NGOs and everyone yeah, I think that's uh, maybe where, say, like going on like the management, going to conference, meeting different people, networking, having like discussion groups and what have you. It does bring you more in to brings you into contact with people who are having those conversations. Um, and maybe that's when, you know, the, the changes happen and also giving that confidence to say, actually, I'm going to stand up for this and I'm going to go to that meeting. Um, yeah. and, you know, raise my hand and have my opinion. And, I, yeah, just to be able to say that, because I suppose in sometimes, you know, some farmers, the reason they're a farmer is, you know, they love what they're doing, but it's also because they, they don't want to be surrounded by crowds of people and <laughs> having those conversations, you know, it's like this yeah. is my, my land and this is where I work and, you know, I go to Mart once a week in the season and, you know, that's the sort of the life, isn't it? So And that's where we maybe this sort of yeah. newer younger breed of farmer coming through like you know the six of you who are having these conversations together so is that probably something that that going to conferences and getting out there and and studying more has, has taught me there's no i don't know if i really want to say this but to my mind there's, there's no such thing as an expert or a professional everybody is fallible and everybody makes mistakes and everybody learns something every day mm. so you might have a lot of knowledge on one subject. You know, there, there might be something in a completely unrelated 
subject somewhere else that someone else knows a lot about and the two of you coming together and having a conversation will actually be better for the both of you and uh, you know cattle breeders has always been a, a good conference for me because you can have world-class keynote speakers up there talking and then you know it's quite a small conference you'll run into them in the you know a coffee or whatever and just, everyone's really friendly you'll strike up a conversation and you'll, you'll be talking to this person that's multiple phds or whatever yeah they'll be interested in what you've got to say and you know they can give you a lot of thoughts but actually a few times you know i've I've given some of them some thoughts and you know, that's, that's actually a really good idea or I hadn't thought about it in that way or I hadn't realised how that applies to dairying or sheep mm. or on a smaller scale and then um, sort of a, a cultivate it was interesting to, that um, a couple of the most speakers were you know, sort of telling their anecdotes of getting more involved in the agricultural industry and just realising how professional it was and how you know much how much talent there was there and that you know, they hadn't realised it themselves and it was doing them a world of good yeah, to, yeah. to get involved in it. So, no, I, I think it's however nervous people are or sometimes scared a lot of farmers are of, of sort of letting people on the farm. I think, it, you know, as, as long as you are proud of what you do at home and you, you, know, you can justify anything that you do to yourself, I think that's the first starting point and then I like I said before I don't think you should ever be afraid of letting people onto farm and justifying what you do explaining what you do teaching people but I know, I know there's a small minority out there and we seem to be hearing more and more of it now of you know sort of activists that yeah. farm and, and causing trouble but I think most reasonable people aren't like that and you know that is a very small minority that, that has that sort of militant bent to them and, and actually most people when you get down to it, are quite reasonable. And if you can have a conversation with, you know, it's, it's harder to hate something if you've given it a face. Yes. So if, if, you know, if all these yeah. people see their local farmer or talk to them or, and have that nice relationship rather than, oh, you the footpath's not there, sod off type of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it humanizes the industry and then it, it, you know, it makes it harder for people to say, oh yeah, we need to get rid of all these farmers. They're destroying the environment. And then they're sort of, oh yeah, but, fed down the road he's all right isn't he and he really likes his cows and he's got a cute sheep dog so i suppose we can't all be that bad and, yeah you know, it sort of builds from there no that, that's so true and i think that's where um I've spoken a few times on my other podcasts about you know that the use of social media and that is bringing that face and bringing the countryside back to people in the cities and um yeah it's sort of making farmers real people if you know you're not you don't have the privilege of living near one um to be interacting regularly with them isn't it so that's where that can be powerful what about fears for the industry then fear for the industry is, is the opposite of what i said my hopes would be that, mm. that we don't get the chance to have that sort of reason conversation that the the breakneck speed we seem to be moving at with everything at the moment you know sort of runs away with us and that we, we don't wake up fast enough and sort of react fast enough as an industry we, we are at risk of being overconfident to some degree slightly arrogant in the terms of that we you know the, the line that seems to come out of uk agriculture at the minute is that oh you know we we work to the best standards in the world we've got the best animal welfare we've got the best productivity we're the best at this we're the best at that and i sort of stand there and, and, and look around at some of the other countries and the other innovations that are going on and think well we'll, we'll want to just watch ourselves a bit here because there's there's a lot of countries nipping at our heels in a lot of areas, and in some areas, actually, they're probably overtaking us. Yeah. Um, you know, I've just come back from <laughs> another conference. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> some sort of trade and policy experts talking there, and they were kind of saying, well, you know, it, yes, some countries in the world, it will be a barrier for us to say, look, you need to trade at the same standards that we're on. But, you know, they said there's, there's other first world countries similar to us, the likes of Australia and New Zealand, America that will say, all right, well, that's the standard. Here's your product, and I've done it cheaper than you. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? And it, it worries me slightly that we've got the potential for agriculture, which is in the grand scheme of things financially, a sort of small piece to pay, could be used as a bargaining chip to keep you know, the, the car manufacturing industry going. And we need to have this realisation, because every farm is king of their own small kingdom, aren't they? Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're the chief at home, and 
when we all get together and start talking about how important agriculture is, we're all talking to like-minded people that think the same thing. So you're preaching to the converted, aren't you? Yes. I think we need to step outside the industry a bit and look around and realise that, yes, we are very important, and I don't dispute that, but and in the, the grander scheme of things, if you look at it from a sort of cold, hard financial perspective, we're probably not as big as we think we are, and we maybe need to eat a slice of humble pie and start framing framing our arguments in a way that the opposition will understand and, and value. Well, I shouldn't say opposition because I don't think we are opposed. I think it's just we're we're slightly missing it. You know, we're talking slightly above or beneath each other and not actually face to face at the minute, or we don't fully understand. Um, and then I'm damn sure government doesn't fully understand what goes on. No, I think yeah, I'm just yeah, really loving the the sort of points and the opinions that you've put across. I think it's just really it's it's great to hear those. And I think that sort of bringing in studying the sciences, doing these management courses, it it does sort of you know change the outlook and does help with that. And I think it's just yeah, I'm a bit blown away by um, all the things you said actually in a, in a good way. I'm just like oh you know just like around the head and. Um, yeah, if I was like, the, the finger would be coming out and I'd be pointing at you. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, I want to just have a really, put, keep this going. It's just so interesting. Really, really great points. Um, hopefully we can get some more people sat around the table and have, you know, proper conversations as opposed yeah. to, you know, hags at dawn, which um, <laughs> kind of seems to be a bit at the moment. And I think... Although social media is great, it's also then, you know, you can just spread the lies and there's sort of, you know, the tit for tat and like the throwing the mud over the gate at each other type thing. Whereas I think it is actually having to sit down opposite a real human being and be like, yeah. because ultimately the, the goal is the same. It's either like climate change, it's keeping a landscape, it's creating more biodiversity, isn't it? And we're just all wanting to come at it a slightly different way. And even, as you mentioned, each farmer is their own kingdom, isn't it? And how that farmer manages their land will be different from their adjacent neighbour. Um, yeah. And even just how, you know, sheep farmers all in the same valley will all farm slightly differently, isn't it? So, like, there's no okay. set agenda on that. Well, um, I know you're a very busy man, <laughs> so <laughs> I um, will say thank you so much for um, joining me today. It's been really nice to... Um, see you again as we're doing this on skype and also just uh, yeah have the conversation so thank you very much no problem you're always welcome it's like like i said before i always enjoy talking to people about things and and you know even just this conversation will have set some wheels turning in my head or clarified a few ideas that i've had and things like that so no oh, uh, anytime i yeah. always enjoy enjoy chats with people and certainly enjoy chatting to you yeah conference buddies <laughs> yes i need to get me you need to let me know your conference diary so i can like get in on those and just be like i'm i'm turning up i'm gonna put my hat on as well so we can be like proper conference buddies <laughs> totally in that right well thank you ever so much i hope you've got um if you've got a busy day ahead a bit of msc bit of work bit yeah. of feeding yeah, and milking <laughs> 3,000 word essay to write before tomorrow, but never mind. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, you're a last minute, are you? Is that your general? No, well, generally I'm, I'm more fond than that, but it's just we're a bit short-staffed at work and, I've, you know, I've been feeding cows this morning and going home and doing this with myself yeah. and I'll crack on and do some more work and oh, wow. back to the grindstone tomorrow. But like yeah. I say, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy what I do, so, you know, every day doesn't feel like work. It's, it's just, you know, another day in paradise. So. Oh, well, that's fantastic to hear. And, uh, yeah, well, good luck with the 3,000 words and uh, enjoy getting back to paradise later as well. <laughs> back out on that <laughs> tractor. You. All right, then. Thanks very much. Take care. Ta-ra, Bye. Ta-ra.